welcome to Firmly Planted Podcast, where we get to dive into the scriptures for our everyday lives. Please do not forget to subscribe and to share this episode with your family, with your friends, and anyone who you think would benefit from our discussion today. Now, without further ado, let's dive in to the scriptures together. It is absolutely wonderful that you have joined us here on Firmly Planted Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Eanes. I am a student pastor in the Panhandle of Florida, if you do not know who I am. And it is wonderful to spend some time with you today. And today we're going to be talking about a message that I spoke on to our students a few months ago around Easter. I just wanted to re-share this on the podcast. And it is a very important topic and message, I would say, for our Christian faith. We look at all different kinds of religions. We look at Buddhists. We look at uh, Islam. And we see Hinduism. We see um, all different kinds of religions. They have their religious leaders. Um, You have uh, Muhammad for Islam. And he's the one who wrote uh, the Quran and claimed that he met with Allah and what and received uh, the words of the Quran. Those are the words of God. And you have all the all the different religions out there, and their leaders all have one thing in common. They believed that they are the spokesperson for the divine, but also they all have something else in common. They're all dead. And for us as followers of Jesus, Jesus stands apart above any other religious leader, if you will. He died on the cross and that he was buried, but he didn't stay in the tomb. He rose again on the third day. Scripture points to this as the hinge point of our Christian faith. And so as followers of Christ, we need to understand the resurrection because it is in the resurrection that we have hope in our salvation. It is in the resurrection that everything, and I mean everything for us as Christians, falls or rises on that fact that Jesus, the Son of God, died and rose again. It is through the resurrection that we have victory over our sin. Without the resurrection, there is no meaning or purpose of Christianity. And I know that's a bold statement. I know that's something that is kind of like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like for, for some people as Christians, you may, you may feel uneasy by saying that. But everything falls and rises on the resurrection. And that's why somebody like Lee Strobel, when he was an atheist, he said that if he could prove the resurrection as false then everything else in Christianity crumbles. But, of course, if you know the story, he found that it was true, and he ended up giving his life to Jesus and is now an apologist uh, for the Christian faith. But we have two categories of people when it comes to the resurrection. We have those who believe in the resurrection and those who are skeptical of the resurrection. Many of you may have grown up in church your entire life and you hear the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And you can say that, you, you, you know that, 
but in some ways you you don't realize the importance and the reality of that as a follower of Jesus. And truly, Easter weekend, it completely changes everything. It's the greatest miracle in the entire world. And that we can have hope in the resurrection. We can have faith in the resurrection, not just because, well, the Bible says so. Not just because, well, that's what my pastor or youth pastor taught me. That's, that's just what my parents have raised me to believe. Because those things are not good enough when it comes to standing firm in what you believe. And this, this may be a side tangent just for a moment, but I just want to hit on this very quickly. And this is why I want to do this podcast. This is why I want to do something called Firmly Planted Podcast is because we need to understand the depths and the truths of Scripture and our, our Christian faith so much more than that's what my pastor has taught me or I believe this because my parents raised me in church. We are losing the next generation because of those statements. We are losing the church in the sense of we are losing uh, quote-unquote Christians because there is such a lack of depth when it comes to their understanding of why you believe what you believe. Now, you can argue, well, were they really saved or not if they leave the church? That's a different conversation for a different, for a different day. But as a youth pastor, I have seen this over and over again. As a college pastor before, I have seen people desert the church, desert their faith. We have a big thing right now called deconstructionism. Deconstructing their faith on the sole basis that there's little evidence for the Christian faith. Or, I believe this growing up, but then I went to college. Or, I believe this growing up, and you fill in the blank. And so we can have a firm reason and grasp on why you believe what you believe. Because you're going to be challenged. You will be challenged in your faith. Whether it's at school, whether it's on, your, on the job, whether it's in your family, in your friends groups, you will be challenged when it comes to your faith. So what is the importance of the resurrection? Well, for one, like I said earlier, everything hinges. It falls or rises on the resurrection. And I want you to think about the axis of the earth. The axis of the earth is at a 23.5 degree tilt. And it is what helps the earth rotate and stay stable in the galaxy, in the stars, in space. And if something ever happened or messes with the axis of the earth, scientists tell us that it would be catastrophic. We would have events that would happen all over the earth, earthquakes, um, we would have storms. We would The earth would essentially fall apart if it wasn't for that 23.5 degree tilt on the axis of the earth. For one thing, that alone, as a follower of Jesus, just points to the sovereignty and the power of God and that there is an intelligent design. But the resurrection, if you will, is... Christianity's axis. If it's messed up, if it is wrong, it is catastrophic to our faith. 
And where I get this and why I keep referencing this is because I want you to see the importance of it and that if it's so important, we can we have real facts and real reasons to believe it. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 12 through 19, Paul explains this reality. So verse 12, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is also in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. That's the main point, that if Christ has not been raised, we have no salvation from our sins. Verse number 18, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Those who have died, there is no hope for them for eternal life. Verse number 19, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we of all men most to be pitied. And so Paul is explaining that the resurrection is of utmost importance. And so if you're a skeptic, if you're an atheist uh, listening to this, or if you are a follower of Jesus who has friends who are skeptical of the resurrection, here's a statement that I would say to you. If Christianity is false, we lose, we lose nothing. I mean, we've hoped in something. We, we, we've hoped in, in the reality of a resurrection, and yeah, we should be pitied in that, like, oh, wow, they hoped in something that ended up being false, that when we die, whatever happens to us, we're going to be fairly disappointed. But in reality, we didn't really lose anything. We live with hope. We live with joy. We live with peace in this life. We live with a security, a sense of security. But when we die, if that doesn't happen, then that, then that doesn't happen. But if Christianity is true, if on the flip side of that coin, Christianity really is true, then you lose everything if you're not a follower of Jesus. Because there is a just and righteous and holy God that is going to judge your sin. And if Christianity is true, and you are a skeptic or an atheist or agnostic, whatever you may be, and you die without giving your life to Jesus then you lose everything. You may have had some kind of hope in this life. Maybe you had some kind of security. But when you go to meet the Lord and your sin is judged, there is no hope because hope is found in the resurrection. And that is the gospel, that Jesus came because he loved us. He came because we are in the depths of our sin that we can't get out of. And he took our sin upon himself. He took the full responsibility for your and my sin so that we can have hope. And Jesus, he spent his entire ministry preparing people for this reality. He prepared his, his disciples for the fact that he would die and that he would rise again. And something that's incredible about the resurrection 
and it gets me pumped up to even study this more and more as I, as I grow in my faith, is that the Old Testament prophesied of the Messiah, that he would come and he would suffer to redeem his people from their sins. Jesus fulfilled many Old Testament prophecies at the cross. And one specific notable prophecy that he fulfilled is in Isaiah chapter 53. And you can go read that in your own time. We do not have time on the podcast to really dive into that. And that may be a separate podcast. If you're actually interested in looking at that, just comment and say, hey, I'd love to, I'd love to hear uh, more about these prophecies in Isaiah 53. But Jesus claimed that he was the son of God. He was God incarnate. And that he was God in flesh, fully God, fully man. Or as Mike Winger, he says on his podcast, truly God, truly man. But there's a reality that C.S. Lewis points out. And he says that Jesus was either a lunatic, a liar, or he really was Lord. And so we can either have reasons to believe the claims that Jesus said about himself and the claims of the resurrection, or we find ways to overlook these these claims. And so I hope that through this episode, we would just have a foundational understanding of why the resurrection not just happened, but is reliable to base your entire eternal security on. So there are three proofs. There's a lot of proofs we could look, look at, but there are three proofs that we're going to look at in this podcast episode that we can have confidence in, in the resurrection. Number one, we can have confidence. Number one, in the death of Jesus. Now you're like, wait a second, what is that? necessarily have to do with the proof of the resurrection. Well, we have to prove that Jesus actually died for us to know that he really rose from the dead. Because there are many, that it's called the swoon theory. The swoon theory is is that many many people believe, and it's not as held to as it used to be in the past, um, because it's just been so disproven by history and, and facts. But the swoon theory says that basically Jesus just essentially passed out, if you will, and that he uh, really didn't die on the cross, but that he suffered to such an extent that he just passed out and that they thought he was dead. So let's look and see um, whether, and, and, and then the other, the other side of that is that he just appeared to be risen from the dead afterwards. That he really didn't die, he just appeared to be risen from the dead. Let's look at uh, how we can know that Jesus really died. Because one thing to point out here is that there is no record anywhere, to my knowledge, and I could be wrong, but there is no record, to my knowledge, that tells of a person actually surviving the Roman crucifixion. Because by looking at the crucifixion, we see there's no way that he could have survived that uh, intense um, persecution and death. Let's see one aspect of the resurrection, and that is the cat of nine tails. The cat of nine tails was a leather whip uh, that had obviously nine strands of leather sticking from the handle 
at the end or the tips of those leather um, strips, there was a ball of leather most of the time. It also had within it broken glass, sharpened bone, other sharp pieces of, of hard material, all for the purpose of inflicting as much pain as possible. And you can do, you can go do your own research on images and, and pictures of what would happen to a person that was being beaten by the cat of nine tails. But the, what, essentially what would happen if you are not exactly good with gore or um, blood and those kind of things, I would just encourage you to tune out for just for a moment. But essentially what would happen is, is that those nine pieces of leather with bone and glass would, as hard as they can, hit into the back of the individual and it would grip into the person's skin and then when they pulled it back, it would be pulled back in such a way that it was literally not just cutting them, not just tearing off skin, but tearing off flesh, tearing off meat. And so you picture, you can just picture the brutality of what was happening here with the Cat of Nine Tails. And the, the movie, The Passion of the Christ, doesn't even do it justice on the suffering that Jesus went through. And many people were dead by 40 whips of the cat of nine tails. And Jesus, he was beaten 39 times. Then, proceeding from that, he had to carry his cross up to Calvary after being beaten with the cat of nine tails. Just this piece of the crucifixion alone shows that there's no way he could have survived this brutal way of being crucified. But then, let's look at him breathing on the cross. Because he didn't just die as soon as he got nailed to the cross. He had to spend time breathing, specifically for about six to nine hours is what many estimate. So after being beaten, he, he was pierced with the nails. And the nails were probably somewhere in the, between the bone and his wrist, not actually in the palm of his hand. If it was in the palm of his hand, uh, the, his weight from his body would have torn right through his hand. It wouldn't have held him up um, unless they were using rope, which they very well could have. But many believe that he was pierced um, between uh, the two bones uh, that go from the arm to the hand. And uh, because the bone, I mean, the, the hand in Jewish culture was from the fingertips to the elbow. That's what they called the hand. So, um, you can look up pictures for that as well. Uh, but every breath that he would have to take, he would have to push up on these nails for one and also in his feet. Uh, but as he's pushing up on those nails, he's rubbing his beaten back from the cat of nine tails up on this rough, uh, not smooth piece of wood. And so he is pushing himself, lifting up his weight for every single breath. He couldn't just breathe in and breathe out without pushing himself up. He had to um, physically move in a way for him to breathe. By, by that mere fact of the pain alone uh, was enough to also die on the cross. And one other reason um, why many scholars believe that he actually died, he, he did die before 
um, the others on the cross died because usually what they would do is they would go by and break the people's legs so they could know if they were still alive so they could no longer breathe so then they would die but Jesus they didn't have to break his legs and that's why they pierced his side and water and blood came out which is another topic because his heart burst and that's actually another medical condition of the stress of um, what he was dealing with on the cross but they pierced his side and, and didn't break his legs because he was already dead. And so just from those two things alone, from the breathing on the cross and the fact that they didn't break his legs and the beating that he took from the cat of nine tails, that he really did die on the cross because he would have died anyway on the cross because they would have broken his legs and um, made sure that he couldn't breathe. But nonetheless, he did not um, have to have his legs broken because he was already dead when they came to check on him. But the number two point, the second uh, thought that we have of why we can trust in the resurrection as reliable is the empty tomb. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then one could assume that there would be a body. There would be someone who would have found or seen the body of Jesus long after uh, the, the resurrection. Now, we do have proofs of him rising from the dead post-resurrection uh, because of he physically visited people, but I'm talking about a dead body after, um, after the cross. If he really did not rise from the dead, we would have found a dead body because the amount of time and effort and money spent into archaeology in the area that Jesus would have been buried somebody would have found this body but as we know there is no body because the resurrection really happened but apart from that we have other reasons to believe that the resurrection really happened because for one, the way the Gospels are written is an evidence to know that the resurrection happened. For example, the women at the tomb. See, culture would never portray women in the way that, for example, Matthew portrayed women uh, at the empty tomb scene. Because if you read in Matthew 28, specifically verses 1 through 10, you see the women being the ones to proclaim that Jesus is resurrected. They were the first ones to, to, to actually um, visit the empty tomb and announce this resurrected Savior. If they were to write to a culture that was actually wanting to believe this and that they knew it was false, they were like, hey, if we need to write a story that people are going to grasp to and really believe— they would not put the women as those who are the spokespersons for this uh, because women were not looked upon as a reliable source of a witness. Uh, you would never go to a woman um, and get um, a credible, or you would be told you could not get a credible witness from a woman. They were also viewed as lower class citizens back in that day, and so they wouldn't have been portrayed as the uh, spokesperson, the Paul Revere uh, of, of Christianity. 
but yet they were the ones that are portrayed as bringing about a primary resource for the empty tomb because they were credible, because they were honest, because they really did see that the tomb was empty. And they really were sharing what actually happened on that day. But then also the, um, the Roman guards. And we think about who these Roman guards were. They were elite soldiers. There was no one that was uh, going to outwit or outmuscle these individuals. Like There are some who have claimed, well, hey, the, the 12 disciples just banded together and took down the Roman soldiers and moved the stone. Well, for one, the stone was too heavy to even do that. But two, uh, the Roman soldiers would have totally whooped their tushies, if you will. There's no way that these 12 disciples, 11 technically at the time, would have found a way to beat the Roman soldiers at literally what they are trained to do. Furthermore, they wouldn't have lost because their life would have depended on not losing. If they... Um, if they would have somehow let the disciples steal this body, uh, they would have rather been killed by the 12 disciples because they would have been killed by the Roman government. Their lives were literally on the line if the disciples actually stole the body. There would be no faking a resurrection at all because of this. Really, in this sense, the burden of proof lies with the skeptic. The burden of proof lies with the atheist who refuses to see just even these evidences of the resurrection because history and historical documents apart from scripture, I've only given one reference specifically to scripture about why we can believe in the resurrection. We know that Jesus died the way he did. We know um, that uh, the Roman soldiers were uh, the elite of the elite. We know these things straight fact from history. I mean, there's, there's no record showing something different than what we've just talked about, to my knowledge. But then lastly, uh, we see number three, the eyewitness reaction to the resurrection. For one, we have the Gospels. We have the Gospels that cover the eyewitness reports. Uh, the earliest gospel is um, usually the consensus is the gospel of Mark, and it was probably written between AD 60 and AD 80. Now, here's what's amazing about this. That's only a 30 to 40 years difference after the life of Jesus. Jesus was estimated to die between AD 30 to AD 40. So, so think about this. We have for an ancient document, an historical document such as this, to be written even just 40 years after uh, the described events. That is unheard of in antiquity. Absolutely unheard of. Uh, we look at Plato. Um, we look at Aristotle. Um, we look at the plays of um, different um, Greek mythologies, um, we look at the writings of Alexander the Great and historical documents for him to prove that what he did and who he was really was true. There's no first primary resource 
that is written as close as the Gospel of Mark is to the life, to the life of Jesus, describing the events that happened. Just that alone shows how how accurate what was described in the Gospels is true. Another example is the Gospel of Luke. Uh, who Luke was, he was a physician, and he was very detail-oriented. And so when he went out to write his Gospel and then also uh, the book of Acts, he took much detail in mind and effort in making sure that he wrote down exactly what really happened. He wouldn't have lied about the things that happened. He would have made sure that he did his research. He was an academic. He made sure his research was sound as he was writing. Luke chapter 1, 1 through 4, an introduction to his gospel, he writes, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things which you were instructed. What Jesus did, how he lived, they, it really changed the disciples to the point that they were wanting to tell everyone about it. They were willing to risk their lives on that fact, put their reputation online so that they could share and witness what happened in the life of Jesus. But then also you have the appearances of Jesus. Uh, Jesus appeared to many people after the resurrection. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, lists several of these. He appeared to Peter. He appeared to the 12. He appeared to 500 followers. And then he appeared to James, his own brother. You see, James was completely changed by something, and it had to have been the resurrection because earlier in the Gospels, we see that James was a skeptic of the ministry of Jesus and who Jesus really claimed he was. But then after the resurrection, something shifted, something happened to where he became a faithful follower of Jesus and also wrote the book of James and became a leader of the Jerusalem church. But then, of course, he appeared to Paul himself. And so these couldn't have been hallucinations. These couldn't have been just mere falsivities of people claiming that they had Jesus appear to him because their lives were completely changed. Uh, everything that Jesus did after resurrection, it was physical. The, um, the, the Gospels talk about how he ate, how he was touching people, how people touched him. Um, he, he resurrected with a physical body. It wasn't just a spiritual aspect. It wasn't hallucination. It was truly a physical resurrection. And all of the reports that they made about Jesus that he physically rose from the dead. If it wasn't true, there would have been somebody who wrote about these crazy disciples who were claiming about this risen Jesus Christ and it not be true, and that they were crazy, they were lunatics. But there's no firsthand writing that's actually showing that these disciples were lunatics. They spread it all across the region of Judea. It would have been shared by someone that, yeah, these people are claiming that this Jesus rose from the dead, but they're, they're lunatics, they're liars, they're insane in what they're saying because there's no resurrected Jesus. 
we haven't seen anything like that. We haven't seen Jesus. But no one could say that at that time because they all knew what they said was true. Now, whether it was believable, that, again, that's maybe where the swoon theory came in, who knows, but whether it was believable or not is not the point. The point is, is that there's no one who could deny it because Jesus was really there. And then, uh, of course, I've referenced this briefly, but the disciples had a changed life. Uh, History shares that all but one disciple was martyred for their faith. Um, They were threatened. They were beaten. They were thrown into prison. If they were lying about the resurrection of Jesus, would they have really gone through these things? I mean, ask yourself that. If you knew that you were lying about your resurrected Savior, that he really didn't die and rise again, you claim that you hinged your entire faith on this. Maybe you were doing it out of a a sense of need or whatever it may be. But then you were persecuted for it and you were tortured for it. You were beaten for it. You were exiled for it. Would you really stay true to that? Or would you say, okay, nope, nope, you know what? It's false. I deny it. I denounce everything that I've said. Let me please live my life. I think most of us would fall in that category. I don't think we would actually say, yeah, of course it's true, and really know that it's a lie. No one dies for something that they know to be a lie. Now, you may die for something that you think is real. That's what cults, that's what happens in cults. People are deceived in thinking something is real or false religions. However, these disciples were creating this. They would have not willingly suffered and died for something they knew to be a lie. So their changed life, the fact that they were martyred for their faith, shows that the resurrection really happened. So as we wrap things up in this episode, just a few final thoughts just to take with you. Given these facts, given the facts of the resurrection, and by the way, this is just a small piece of the evidence that we have for the resurrection. Just a small portion. So if this is just barely... uh, If this is just barely touching the surface of what you are looking for, trust me, there is so much more out there that we could dive into, that you could do research on on the the evidences for the resurrection. But given these facts, that the resurrection really happened, and that only through Jesus that we have forgiveness and redemption for our sins, you as a listener have a choice to make. If you are not a follower of Jesus listening to this, I challenge you, I implore to you, I encourage you, I plead with you. Please consider these reasons. Please look into these reasons more. If you have more questions, please let me know. Please please seek after answers. Because there is nothing more important than what you do with this right here. Your entire eternity depends on that. But if you're here listening and you are a born-again Christian, this is my challenge for you. Live 
like the resurrection has happened. What do I mean by that? There are so many Christians, myself included at times, too often than not, that we live our lives like or as if the resurrection didn't happen. The resurrection really happened. There's nothing impossible for our God. There is nothing that should worry, stress, or put us into a panic and think that God is not for us, that God is not truly in control or sovereign or the provider of all of our needs. If he can rise from the dead and forgive us of our sins, then there's nothing that our God can not do. And that you can have confidence and boldness in your faith. That when you go out and you share the gospel with someone in your family, that you go into the workplace and you share the hope of Jesus, what he has done in your life, and what he can do for that person you're sharing it to. When you go and share the gospel, you can have boldness and confidence that what you believe in is really true. That what you have staked your internal security on actually is true. That there is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There is That there may be uh, things that you don't understand There may be things that you can't fully explain, but what you do understand is the reality and the reliability of it. And so whether you are in high school, whether you are in college, whether you are in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, it doesn't matter what stage of life you are in. You can have boldness and confidence in your walk with Jesus in the mere fact that Jesus, fully God, fully man, came and lived a life just like you and I, lived a life in this human flesh, felt pain, ate, grew, felt heartache, saw the depths of sin in people's lives, all the things that we experience, experience sicknesses, all the things that we experience as humans, And yet he did one thing that none of us could do, and that was live a sinless life, live a perfect life, and die for the sins of the world. And that he proved that he was the sovereign God of the universe by rising from the dead. And we rest our hope in that. And that is why we look to a passage like Romans chapter 5, verse 5, that says, And our hope does not disappoint in Christ Jesus. There is nothing that can disappoint you in your walk with Jesus when you have confidence and boldness in the resurrection and in your faith. So I challenge you, I encourage you, I I plead with you to live a life of boldness. And you have a choice to make, to live confidently or to live discouraged or to live in defeat. And you can be victorious because Jesus was victorious at the cross. Thank you for listening to Firmly Planted Podcast, where we dive into the scriptures together. 
And if you have not yet, please subscribe. Please share with your friends and family who may benefit from this. And we would love to get this in as many hands as possible. Not because of me, but because of glorifying God and desiring for others to know God more. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on Firmly Planted.